there's a lot of things that we learn as we get older that we can teach our young guys. And one of them is, is you got to be realistic about it. And you got to be accountable. And that's my thing with this project. Is we have the knowledge within our ranks to talk about this and to beat this back. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this very special episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and welcome to our third annual Veterans Day special where we highlight a courageous veteran who is doing something extraordinary to make a difference in the lives of people who served for the armed forces. Today, we're talking with Conrad Jeffries, former Coast Guard who worked with the Marine Security Strike Team in counterterrorism. He also served as a combat engineer for the National Guard, where he logged nearly 350 missions as part of a joint special ops personal security detachment team. However, everything changed for Conrad after he was discharged following a DUI, which began a downward spiral for Conrad's life, and ultimately, he found a new purpose. Now he runs the Shot at Dawn project, which helps prevent veteran suicide everywhere. Conrad, it is an honor to have you on the show. Welcome to the Daily Helping Podcast. Thanks for having me, Dr. Richard. I'm stoked to be here. Thanks for the great introduction. Love being able to talk about the Shot at Dawn Project anytime I can. So, Conrad, I, I want to hear your story because I know that everything was going the way that you had envisioned it when you first began in the Coast Guard, but things kind of got out of control and it took a very different turn for you. So, talk to us about your time in the Coast Guard. And, and, and I want to get to what were the things that were leading you towards abusing alcohol and ultimately you know, contemplating suicide, which we're going to talk a bit about. Well, I grew up in a small farm town in Idaho, American Falls, Idaho. I graduated from a town called Aberdeen, it's even smaller, right next to American Falls. So I'm from like a really blue collar kind of working class community, really good salt of the earth type people. And I started working on farms at the age of eight. I started pulling rye. Always been real proud of the work ethic that comes out of those communities. But it's a work hard, play hard type community. My mentors were essentially cowboys and, and wrestlers. And, you know, they, they would work hard and, and play hard. And that was kind of the, the mentality of the hard work that comes out of those towns. And I got caught up in that at an early age. And I was really insecure with myself at a young age. Going through those teenage years, I think, is awkward for everyone. But I believe my first drink was about the age of, of 14. And, and what I found in alcohol was confidence and talking to girls and, and, and being funnier. And, you know, it's kind of a celebratory thing. But slowly over time, I think alcohol has a way of, of, of creeping into your life and, and you start using it to deal with other emotions. For example, I like to tell people when I was a kid, you know, we would want to go party in the mountains and, and chase girls or do whatever. 
that's a fun thing to do. And that's what we used alcohol for. But then you start using it when someone dies. So now you've gone to a different emotion and a different way to handle that emotion. Pretty soon you start using it for all your emotions. And so alcohol was something I've, I've battled since uh, an early age. And I joined the Coast Guard in 2001 and um, basically had refrained from a lot of drinking and um, cleaned myself up. And I, I, I did really well in the Coast Guard. You know, at the age of 21, I went to their federal law enforcement academy within uh, Yorktown, Virginia, and, and was a qualified boarding officer. I, I had some really good credentials and, and, and some federal law enforcement credentials and search and rescue credentials. And, and the Coast Guard really squared away. They're so small. And I kind of, when I was surrounded by that, it really, it really elevated me. It really did as, as, as a sailor and, and just as a person. And I got out in 2005 and I, I moved home to Idaho, kind of got started drinking again. And I, I had some friends that were in the Idaho Army National Guard and I needed money. I, I thought about getting into law enforcement. I, I worked temporarily for a sheriff's department, but Anyway, I needed money. So the National Army National Guard at the time, Iraq was hot. I mean, they were throwing up to 55 grand to combat arms positions, like uh, 25,000 to be a combat engineer. I think infantry was up to, you know. So to join, there were big, there was big bonuses out there. And so I jumped on it. And um, I did miss service too. And um, in the Army, I really found some more confidence in myself. Um, but my alcoholism never went away. And you were generous in the introduction of discharge after DUI. I've had multiple DUIs. I mean, I'm a, a repeat offender. Um, and that's really, it. when I joined the Idaho Army National Guard, um, what was unfortunate for me when I look back, and, and it's been a big hindrance, it was a hindrance on my sobriety at the time and my mental health. I was Mr. PT, physical stud. I could qualify for anything. You know, I, I, in the Army, I always ex- scored on the extended scale when they still had it. I was kind of tops. Any, anywhere you put me, I was the guy. And uh, I forfeited a chance to warn officer school, selection, all kinds of different options that I would have had in my career because of what the type of soldier I was. I, I pissed away because of the DUI. And so that gets on your record. And so then you put in your packet for warrant officer school, which is golden and you think that they're going to take it and give you a waiver it puts you back down in that hole like i'm never going to get out of this this dui has created this alcoholism has just created this pit for me and i i kind of had a victim mentality in a lot of that as i look back and which wasn't the right attitude to have about it even though there's some truth to it i think a lot of times we people make mistakes and, and we we hinder them too much from coming back and it, and it plays a factor on their mental health. I know it did me. In 2009, I deployed. And I'm kind of the, I don't, I don't really have any uh, TBI, I think, from, from service. I, I never got blown up overseas when I was running PTSD with JSOC. We had some close calls. I do have some, some stuff from the Coast Guard search and rescue. You know, I've had, I've had a mom die on me in front of her children on a, on a causeway in tourist season in St. Simon's Island, Georgia. That, 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 that took a while to deal with. It still, still affects me a little bit. But that's really it. So as far as combat, I got pretty lucky. But as far as marriages, divorce, alcoholism, I, I, I like to call myself kind of the poster boy that every unit has. And there's a lot of us. And in 2009, I got in trouble and, and, and really cleaned up and squared myself away. And 
you know, we deployed, I did good things when we deployed and, and I, we came home and um, I'd gone through a divorce, but I handled it pretty well and, and uh, competed in 2013 and won State of Idaho's non-commissioned officer of the year. And so I was hopeful after that, I would really get a chance at either maybe 19th group or, or warrant officer candidate school or something. And I tried again for, for warrant officer candidate school. I put a packet in and again, I was shot down and rightfully so. I mean, realistically, you know, I had, had done enough with alcohol at that point and flagged myself enough. I, I can't really see a board letting me through now, even though I think if they would have, I would have shined, but that's just my personal opinion. But I understand why I was, was hindered and, 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 and all that. So that journey was, uh, was tough. Um, and then, uh, you know, I continued to struggle. I had really cleaned up my drinking a lot, but I tell this to guys I work with now, it's, it's a real, real slippery slope. You know, I went out to watch a Cubs game one night and had a few drinks and, and got popped. And that was, that was the end of it. When you say got popped, uh, for the non-military person listening to this, tell us what you mean. I got pulled over for okay. DUI. Okay. Yeah, you you described these different scenarios where, you know, you, you, the, oh, the, the woman who died on you and you said that you were kind of that guy in the unit. Uh, so I, I, I'm curious for you because many people listening to this again are, are not going to have the experience that you have of being in the military. You okay. Know, is this something that people are talking about? How do they, how do these people get help? What was it like for you being that guy going through those experiences? So I'll just take you back to Georgia 2000. I believe it was four. Um, I was at a small boat station. Um, the guy in charge, his name was senior chief Sesta and uh, he was harder than woodpecker lips. He was an East coast guy. He'd been on the Discovery Channel on a Coast Guard boat rollover. He was just like a sailor, sailor in search and rescue. Just a hard nosed, yeah, we're going to go do it. We're going to go hit these big waves. He just loved being in the Coast Guard. Very good mentor. Um, very cold, very alpha male, though, to be real mean. And after that search and rescue case, that young lady uh, I was given CPR to died uh, on me and in front of her children and her husband. And I'd, I'd gone to the hospital in hopes. You always hope. Maybe they'll revive her. I knew, though, right? And they don't tell you this when you join. You know, you think that you're going to go be a hero. By the time you're doing CPR, the chances of someone living are pretty slim, especially in a drowning. So that was hitting me pretty hard. I didn't join the Coast Guard to, have, to, to fail, especially in front of a thousand, literally a thousand people on the causeway on St. Simon's Island. And that hit me pretty hard. And Senior Chief Sesta... Never really brought it up, right? But he called me in his office one time and we'd never had this relationship. And he was real sincere about me being okay. And he, he invited me over to his house for dinner with his family after that. He never really talked about that case specifically. But looking back now that I'm older, senior chief saw in me what he saw in himself. That had obviously happened to him before he was concerned about it. But none of us have training for this, right? We don't know exactly... It's just you go to the next case, really, right? Because you've got more search and rescue cases to run. You've got more law enforcement cases to run. You just move on. So at the unit level, I think there's some mentorship involved and, and there's some sympathy involved. I just don't think there's anything that puts all that help together the right way. Because we're always on to the next thing. We're always moving next. 
and that there's no there's no wrench that gets thrown into one spot. I mean, you can do a debrief, you can do a lot of things, but you know, I was a, a pretty young. I look back now. I was I was twenty twenty two when that happened, twenty three maybe. So I was pretty young, and uh, the army um, is is similar in a lot of ways. I mean, the branches. I don't think it really matters. There's just such a stigma about mental health in the military and from what I'm finding in first responder units, it's best just not talked about. And if it, the scuttlebutt's always there and we kind of know, but like on a, on a, on a level to level basis, we just don't really discuss it. It's just kind of an alpha male world and it's like, suck it up, move on to the next thing. And that kind of compounds. Right. And that was going to be my next comment. So because nobody's getting that help that this is building over time. And you said that you, you know, you tried some other things. You tried to, you know, put in your application for that that different opportunity that didn't work out. Talk to us about what happened next. Well, you know, I just I was a squad leader and an operations NCO as an E six. I probably could have made E seven. I would have, but I really wanted to to do something. I'm I'm just like I was always grinding my teeth because I'm an athlete. I'm competitive. And I wanted to go to these schools and do all this. And the National Guard, that's tough anyway. But you start, you got a two, couple DUIs on your record. I mean, you hinder yourself from a lot. So I, I was kind of in an acceptance phase of, of where I could go in the military. And I had been in one for a long time. In the back of my mind, I thought, okay, I think I can compete with. And I, I've, you know, when I went to the regional competitions, whether guys have tabs or not, they're Rangers. It doesn't matter to me. I, I'll compete with them. I can beat a lot of them. And I thought, if I have this talent and this gift as, as, as a soldier, and I owe it to these other National Guardsmen to be that guy for them. So I took a lot of ownership in that. I thought, I'm squared away, and I need to be an example for these National Guardsmen, for these guys, for these weekend warriors as a strong leader. And that's what I really strive to do. But I uh, sabotaged myself you know, by getting, getting arrested and ultimately lost the, the privilege of wearing the flag from it after 13 years of service. And it really became my identity. And I think with alcoholics, especially, we have a lot of insecurities because I spent the majority of my adulthood life kind of coping with my emotions by using a foreign substance, you know, not living in them. And so just nature of the beast, by the time you get to that point, you know, there's a lot of damage done. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. And again, you're alluding to that discharge due to the DUI. DUI, yeah. So I got discharged. The The cool thing was about the process is... Uh, you know, I didn't want to drink anymore. I had bouts with it. And, and when you get popped like this, it knocks you down so hard. I didn't have really a choice to begin with. 
And second of all, I was so tired of having a, getting a, a degree by being a full-time soldier for the National Guard and raising two little girls on my own, getting two college degrees, and then I'd shoot myself in the foot, right? I was so tired of rebuilding my credit, rebuilding my life, that I wanted to get sober. I really did. And I was newly married. And so I had put a huge strain on this new marriage with this felony DUI. And uh, it wasn't a wreck or anything involved, just a multiple DUI in Idaho. So I had put a big hindrance on on this new marriage. And I saw the writing on the wall that it was probably going to fail. But you know, I was confident in myself and that I really wanted to be sober. So I, 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 I had TRICARE at the time and I, I looked around and, and the Meadows in Arizona, they take on some celebrities and they're a really good facility, actually had a program where they'd take TRICARE. So I got to go to the Meadows for, I think it was 28 days in Wickenburg, Arizona. And when I went there, I had been out of jail for a little bit and sober for probably 45 days. So I went there with a, a good head on my shoulders and, and, and a little bit of time under my belt and, and just started working. I really wanted it. And I started consulting on the, on the Shot at Dawn project when I was there. I started asking questions. And uh, I really wanted to find a way to, to better the process for guys like me and, and my guys too. I've, I've, I've just seen the, the way we discharge guys, the way we handle some stuff could be done a little better. And that's when I started working on it. I didn't know at the time when I started that I would ultimately, this would be a suicide facility right? Until I went through my problem. And my problem didn't come up till a year later after my arrest. And that was after the realization that I'd lost my wife, right? My credit was shot. As confident as I was in myself, I just, I was done. I wanted to hang myself. I sat down in my living room at my coffee table and I thought about how I could do it. And I thought about if I just tie it in the attic in the garage. And I thought about my kids. And I probably thought about it, honestly, for maybe one minute tops. And it's something shot through me. You're a fighter. You, you don't quit. That's kind of when the project hit me. If I, I had been at that point in my life, I'd been sober just over a year from alcohol. And that's what saved my life because I say this all the time. If I if I would have started drinking at that point, and with everything else going on that had compounded, all bets are off. I would have been hanging from my garage, no doubt. I would have made a stupid decision. I would have gave up, and um, that's what's scary. And that's when I started looking at like, well, how did I get here? How do I go from <laughs> soldier of the year to wanting to hang myself? You know, after going through that, it really lit a fire under my ass. It really did. And I, I started to, to, then thank God I was sober again too. I had a little confidence even after that. And I, I, I thought, you know what? I could fix this problem. I know the ranks intimately. I've lived it now. There's got to be a solution because I know what they're doing is, is, is absolutely wrong. And that's how the Shot at Dawn project was formed. And, and what's important and significant about the Shot at Dawn project historically. The Shot at Dawn is a historical event where 309 British soldiers were executed by their command during World War I. A hundred years later, the British government had to apologize to the families of these soldiers because they were tried under the Uniform Code of Military Justice for desertion and cowardliness. 
convicted and executed, shot at dawn. That was our knowledge of mental health back then. That's they didn't understand it. The the, the concussions from World War One were so massive they'd never dealt with this type of combat fatigue before, and so they executed them. And that's significant in so many levels of our suicide problems now, a hundred and ten years later. It's because there's a process that goes on there where these guys could get flagged in mental health. And I saw that and wanted to capture that and make it work. And I also wanted to make a facility that could actually combat these other layers that we deal with. Because when I went through recovery, for example, whether you go to the VA for 21 days or you attempt suicide and fail and get sent to a psych ward and then the VA for 21 days, that's 40 days, maybe 50 days. Let's call it a private facility. You do 35, you pay for, and then go into sober living. You're still not getting very much time logged, and you're not addressing anything else as far as those those eight layers. Your, your financial loss, your diet and exercise, maybe a little bit, but I, I mean, we just skip so much in people's lives on why they're t- you know why their lives suck. Basically, we skip over all that and we focus on one thing. It's the substance. It's the alcohol. Yeah, that can be a that that's a layer. And I wondered when I started this project, why have our numbers in the last 40 years skyrocketed? So I started to look back historically and I went down to the Boise VA and I talked to a couple guys. One of them I'd gone to rehab with. I don't even know if he's still alive. He's a homeless guy named Ozzy. He wasn't a Vietnam vet, but he had, his line leaders were Vietnam vets. And Ozzy was strung out on heroin. And uh, he told me he got it from his line leaders. That's where he picked up his addiction when he joined the Marine Corps. Never went to Vietnam, his line leaders did. Talked to another non-vet, confirmed this. I started doing some research and found out in 1982, the DOD did some massive drug policy changes. And I thought, okay, well, if we've got all this suicide in the military before, but now in, in, in the late 70s, our numbers jump up. What's the difference? Well, we added organically a layer, an opiate layer. And we've never taken that layer out. In fact, we've changed it chemically. We've enhanced it into different forms of pharmaceutical med- medicines. But we've compounded extra layers onto these guys. And I believe that's why our suicide numbers have risen and continue to rise. That we, we continue to add layers of pharmaceutical drugs onto these guys' mental health. And, and that isn't the answer. And I think the data is starting to show that throughout out the country and throughout the world that we need to take a different approach, 100%. So the Shot at Dawn Project is a full-on offensive attack at the command level. And the eight-layer form that I developed fits nicely in between the Uniform Code of Military Justice and counseling. And the goal is, is these guys, some of my guys that I've had in, in my ranks is you get flag them early when they have a counseling for alcoholism, you fill out this form. It gives the commander a real tool to go over these layers and say, hey, you know, we know the guy's drinking too much, but what is the deal with his relationship and his divorce? I mean, I see guys struggle with, with, with attorneys when they go through divorce. There's, there's no alternatives, but there's, there's avenues here where commanders could sit down and really help their soldiers figure out what's going on in their lives. And that's what this form does. It will flag these guys early on to try to get them that help in finance, to try to get them that help in this. So I, I make this point all the time. I would, would have been hanging from my garage had that layer existed, substance abuse. It was removed from my life. So if we, 
if we change the way we train our active duty soldiers, and this is what this facility is going to do, if we change the way, if we don't give a kid from a poor social demographic $55,000 to join the infantry and tax 40% of it, and then expect him never, no financial training, he comes from a poor family, and then he gets out in four years, what are we doing? If we change that mindset, if we if we don't tax the hell out of that money, if we invest that money, if we put this kid in quarter financially counseling coming from that social demographic, if we teach him how to manage his money better, if we give him those tools early on and do credit monitoring, not only will the DOD save themselves millions of dollars when it comes to security clearance time, you're going to remove that layer. And if that kid is at the point I was when he's got that gun sitting in front of him, and he's lost his wife or she's lost her husband and they got TBI and they're strung out on scripts and they're drinking and now they're smoking weed. and They've got no job. They can't get the right shit done at the VA. All this stuff just compounds right in that gun sitting right there. But what if they got five grand in the bank and they're not broke? What if we remove that layer? I'd like to say there's a high probability that this kid lives. We got a higher probability. It saved my ass, right? So that's what this project is about, just attacking this thing logically. It's really interesting, Conrad. What, I, what I'm hearing from you is that Shot at Dawn Project does a number of things. One is you've, you've helped introduce a form that these military agencies can utilize to intervene and get people help sooner than the system allows for now. And you've also put mechanisms in place to help people who are struggling with these different issues, be it addiction, be it not having the skills to manage their finances, et cetera, to be able to intercede in those ways and make a difference in their lives. That's amazing. Well, the Shadaton Project Eight-Layer Hero Suicide Evaluation Form has the eight layers of hero suicide. And what I, what I did when I looked at this is, is thought, first off, we have to identify why guys are taking their lives. Now, when you look, there's a, there's a thousand triggers out there, right? I tried to do this as logically as possible and make it dumbified, like army simple, right? Because I think when we go to the medical stuff, man, we just sometimes we just overthink everything. So what? why are we taking our lives? So I started calling around. Okay, here's what I was doing. I started talking to my ambassador and good friend of mine, Mike Frazier, who was in the, I was in the Coast Guard with and then served in the 160th uh, Special Operations Aviation Unit. Good friend of mine, I've stayed up many nights worried Mike was going to take his life. I don't think Mike ever knew I struggled with suicide until later on. But I, I would talk to Mike. Hey, dude, what was going on, right? And there's a common denominator. And those eight layers are those common denominators. It's diet and exercise. It's loss of finance. It's loss of relationship. And in loss of relationship, I think it's real important when we look at female veterans that we address sexual assault. Because over 90% of the female vets taken their life and had a sexual assault on their record. I like to say this, not to bag on the military, but it's reality. If the female is going to do 20 years in the service, there's a high probability she's going to have a sexual assault with a line leader. And those are things we're not cognizant of when we're discharging. We're just overlooking that. It's just stacked in the paperwork. So those layers, those TBI, PTSD, diet and exercise. And the reason this is so important and what I've looked into is we know that TBI can screw up your pituitary gland, which can screw up your hormone system, which can screw up your mental health. Well, that's proven in diet and exercise now too. And I've talked to some endocrinologists that 
that are really concerned that the shots that they give us have too much iron, that the food that they feed us have too much junk in them. And everything that they see under a male of age of 30 is lower hormone system. So this, those layers are less, less frontier out into that. Can we explore shots that have less iron that aren't going to crash our guys' hormone systems? Because we know now that a crashed hormone system can lead to depression. It can be one factor that helps lead to depression. So these layers are, are developed from guys I talk to of what they were going through personally and then my struggles. Like these are the eight reasons we're, in lack of a better term, we're shooting ourselves. There's a lot of things that we learn as we get older that we can teach our young guys. And one of them is, is you got to be realistic about it and you got to be accountable. And that's my thing with this project is we have the knowledge within our ranks to talk about this and to beat this back. Hey guys, these are the red flags. When I was a young man or a young girl or whatever, don't do this. This is what I lived through. This is what I did with my money. This is what I did when I gave that girl power of attorney and she destroyed my credit. That's the reality of the world we live in, fellas. Like, we got to start preaching this to our guys and start training them to be prepared for these eight layers and, and be realistic with them. And if we do that, we can, we can, I, I really think if, if this form was implemented tomorrow in the DOD, commanders would understand it right away. It would only take a minute for them to kind of be like, oh, okay, I get this. Outstanding. Conrad, uh, this has been fantastic. And we unfortunately are at time. As you know, everybody who comes on the Daily Helping Podcast, I ask them a single question, and that is, what is your biggest helping, the single most important piece of advice you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? So I didn't want to own this project, right? I believed in the work in it so much that when people looked at it, they would just get it done. I thought I could hide behind who I really was. But this journey has broken me so many times that I'm going to finish this project. It's the biggest mental health project in history. Everyone's told me I'm crazy, but I'm going to do it and set a standard for every veteran that you can be convicted of a crime. You can be left by the person that you love. You can, you can lose it all financially, and you can come back like me. So now I own this project and who I am in my past. And I know by doing that, I'm going to help guys become better. I love it. Tell us where people can find out more about the Shot at Dawn Project, Conrad. Go to www.shotatdawnproject.org. We've got our media and our eight-layer e-link on there and team. Outstanding. Conrad, it has been an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. And I want to say thank you to each and every one of you who tuned in to listen to this episode as well. Most importantly, to our our veterans listening to this, thank you for your service. And if you are in crisis, please call 800-273-8255 or text 838255 to get some help immediately. And for everybody listening to this, I'm grateful that that you tuned in. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because this is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for someone else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others.